Well, this morning, we're going to look at a topic that uh, I think is important. It's practical. And I'm not preaching. I don't preach because something happened this past week, okay? Y'all understand that, don't you? I, I just typically, I don't address issues that crop up, okay? I, I just let God work through those things. But almost a year ago, we began a journey to become a, a new church, literally. A new kind of church. A new type of church. One of our desires was to, 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 to build something that if you were a part of the little group that met on Sunday nights for a few weeks, we called it a culture of honor. And I'll explain that a little bit as, as we go. But we, we talked three or four weeks about a culture of honor. But a culture of honor is just a place where every person there is honored simply because they're made in the image and the likeness of God. Every person in this room, yea, may I say, every person on this hillside today, whether they're playing Little League or they're playing basketball, they are worthy of our honor. Okay? Amen? Because every one of us is made in the image and the likeness of God. Every one of us has something to contribute. We're all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We come from different backgrounds. But folks, we are worthy of honoring one another. And if we don't honor one another, you know what? We won't honor anybody else. And really, if we don't honor one another, we don't really honor ourselves. And so we, we talked a little bit about that. And, and our goal as a people was and, and is is to create an atmosphere where any person, man, woman, boy, or girl, can be affirmed for who they are. And I just call, I call it a culture of honor. I think that's important. Uh, we have gotten to the place in our society and, 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 and a great deal in our, in, our, in our pursuit of faith to where we only honor those who stand up in front or who lead out. I want you to understand something. We wouldn't be able to have worship this morning if there weren't some people here before the service who unloaded the chairs and who strung the wires, and if you've been back to our children's department who put the little walls up and the floor down and, and, and made the coffee and, and, and everything else, all of our gifts come together, and we offer them. We do in this church anyway. We offer them every Sunday morning as a sacrifice to God, and, and we honor one another. And so... Early this past week, God just began to remind me of that. And, and, and this is a part of literally our spiritual DNA. We're, we're going to have a culture of honor where we honor each other. And this past week, as, as I was praying and, and trying to seek the direction of the Lord where He wanted me to go, I, he, he reminded me of a place last November that I visited in Israel. And it just it just... Breeze through my mind. So I got my computer out and I punched in, found the pictures and just kind of stared at it a little bit. But we had, we had been touring for a week and a half and we were basically on the way to the airport, to, to Ben Gurion Airport. And we, we went to, we stopped beside a field and, and, uh, our tour guide, our, our director told us this was the Valley of Elah. Now later I'm going to show you some pictures of it, but it was the place where David fought Goliath. It was just a, it was just a neat place. And, and God began to speak to me. It's real simple, but for me it was pretty profound and pretty powerful what He was saying to me. And so I want to share with you what God's teaching me. Okay? And this sermon may be for me and nobody else. Okay? But I kind of think He probably wants to share it with some others. But I believe it's essential, this lesson, for all of us as individuals and corporately as a baby church, especially if we're going to create a culture of honor here. Words are powerful. Amen? I mean, just a few minutes ago, you, you could just sense the atmosphere change in here when we began to just sing Jesus, Jesus. It's amazing to me every time we do that or how we speak His name together, the, the atmosphere just changes. Words are powerful. God used words to create everything that we see. The Bible says, and God said. 
God spoke. And the stars were flung into space. I mean, they appeared. There wasn't anything there. It was just emptiness. And God spoke. And, and light appeared. God spoke. And the waters of the firmament began to separate. And, and dry land appeared. God spoke. And the waters began to teem with, with fish and creatures of the sea and, and shrimp and oysters and, and all that and, and all that good stuff. And, and God spoke and, 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 and the earth began to sprout forth seeds and all of a sudden it began to turn green and, and, and there were beautiful shade trees and, and there were fruit trees and everything you could imagine. God spoke. And all of a sudden there were, were creatures roaming about the earth. Little bitty, itty bitty ones and great old big ones. God spoke. See, as all those things were created through the spoken word. Nothing becomes something at the utterance of a word. There was nothing. And God spoke. And everything that we see came into being. Do you realize that we are the only things that God did not speak into existence? God created us literally from something. He made, I hate this, guys, but it's Father's Day, I know. He made us from dirt, okay? Now, before you ladies laugh too much, he made y'all from us, so, okay? So, you know, basically the soil is our, uh, is our, is our genesis. But everything else, God spoke into existence. Words are powerful. Words have literally engulfed nations in war. Destruction and devastation have been released and unleashed at the speaking of a word. Just a word. Innocent people have been imprisoned and and executed on a word. Lives have been shattered and literally generations shamed by words. Civilizations literally have been wiped out at a word. Something became nothing. Remember a while ago, nothing became something? Something became nothing at the exclamation of a word. Words are powerful. And they're powerful for both good and evil. What we say can either be good or it can be bad. What we say then is very, very important. And I've chosen to call this, I don't do real well at at uh, titles, but I've just chosen to call this Managing Our Mouths. Okay, We're, I'm going to give you some principles today, just some simple principles that, that will help us manage our mouth. And we'll learn a little bit about our tongue and uh, the power in it. But in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, this is what it says. With the fruit of a man's mouth, I'm going to read this from, from I think it's from the uh, New American Standard. With the fruit, or literally the speech, of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lip. Now listen to this this passage. Death and life are in the power. They're in the hand of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, what we sow with our mouths, we will reap with our lives and the lives of the people around us. What we sow with our mouth, others reap, and we reap. If we sow, our, if we sow uh, seeds with words, uh, those words produce fruit. And that fruit can either be a, a, a killing fruit or a fruit that brings life. We have that power. It's interesting to me that, that, that the text does not say uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now that's how we all quote it, amen? I mean, I, when, I, when I read that, I thought, well, something's wrong in this Bible, that's not right. And I realized that, okay, I was quoting it wrong. It's death and life are in the power of the tongue. I wonder why the writer of Proverbs said death first. Do you think it's because maybe we speak death more than we do life? We don't even realize it. And we're speaking death. We're speaking death over ourselves, over our children, over the people that we have, uh, our spouse, over the people we have contact with every day. Folks, those words produce death and life. Negative words 
ugly words, hateful words, shaming, damning, cursing, gossiping words produce bumper crops of death. And they're not just generational in the generation we live in. They follow. Do you, do you realize words don't die? They take root. And they grow up. But likewise, kind words and encouraging words and graceful words and soft words and truthful words, gentle blessings, hopeful words tend to generate a harvest, a bounty in the life of the people that we speak those words to. I've always reminded a soft word turneth away wrath. I've been in situations before when, when you had somebody that was agitated. And if you get loud with them, you know what happens? It goes to another level and another level. But if you speak a soft word, very often it comes down. And so we can speak life, we can speak death. We just have to realize that our words have creative power in the lives of those we speak to or we speak over. God made us in His image. And He made us in His likeness. And He has given us some creativity, whether you realize it or not. We're like God in that way. Now, none of us can speak uh, something into being that, 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 that does not exist. I mean, we can't create. Uh, I think the, 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 the theological word is ex nihilo. We can't do that, something from nothing. But we do have the, word, we have the ability to create. And folks, there's no place more life-giving or damning than our words. I'll guarantee you everybody in this room knows this little limerick. Your parents probably taught you this little limerick. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now I was taught basically to say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. May I just say, be real honest with you? That's a lie. It goes directly against what Scripture teaches. That little, direct, that little declaration is not true. Words do hurt. In fact, words hurt deeply. Words wrongly spoken have an innate ability to destroy and when they destroy, they leave all kinds of scars. Folks, I have heard words spoken to me. And I'm just going to use me as an example this morning, but I'll guarantee you it applies all over this room. I have heard words spoken to me that I wished were the whack of a stick or the thud of a rock. Okay? Because that scar or that bruise would have healed. But those words, you know what? They're still rumbling. They still hurt. They hurt just as much today as they hurt the day that they were spoken. Sticks and stones heal a lot easier. You know what? A bruise, go away. A cut, it'll heal up. But folks, the scars that are spoken into us sometimes take a lifetime. Now, God has the ability to heal those, okay? But very often we stuff those away in places that we don't even let God visit. And this morning I'm not going to go in that vein. I want to stay in the vein of being careful what we speak. That's, that's another sermon. But if we hope to, to build a culture of honor in this church, we have to learn how to accurately and appropriately manage what we say. We've we got to take control of our mouth. We've got to learn to guard our tongues. I want, I want you just to listen. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation, but, but in James chapter 3, I'm going to read 12 verses of Scripture. And I want you just to listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, said. And I love this translation. He speaks very candidly about our words. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongue, we would be perfect. That word perfect means mature. What he's saying is, you know what? It'd be better that none of us taught if we don't learn how to control our mouths. 
I can do damage from where I stand this morning. Tremendous damage if I'm not careful with what I say. But listen, you can do tremendous damage from where you stand. You see, we're all teachers. We teach our children. We teach the people that are around us. We teach our spouse. We're all teachers. And he says, indeed, we all make mistakes, and we do. Sometimes, how many of you ever said anything you wish you could take back? All of us. For if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect. We'd be mature. And could also control ourselves in every other way. And then he uses a couple of examples. He said, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. If we if we kind of put that in today's vernacular, the tongue is a blowtorch. I mean, that, that's what he's saying. It takes a spark to start a forest fire. I don't know if you watch the news, but the, the fires that are burning in, uh, in Colorado and, and Utah, the, the, most of those started with a, a lightning strike, a spark. See the damage they do? And yet our tongue is like a blowtorch. I mean, it, it just, everywhere it turns, it burns. And he says... And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. To blessings and cursings come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. I mean, every time I read that passage of Scripture, God just convicts me. On one hand, I praise God, but then on the other hand, I speak something negative or ugly. Y'all do realize that cursing is not necessarily cussing. Okay, I'm going to just get southern here for a minute. Okay, Cursing is to speak something negative. You'll never amount to anything. You don't have anything to say. You never have anything. Those are curses. You're ugly. Those are curses. I'd rather be cussed than cursed. That's another sermon too. I'm going to go on. How many of you remember the cartoon uh, cartoon cartoon character in the funny papers? Now we don't get the funny papers every day, so you know you get them Sunday and Wednesday. I'm not even sure this one's still in there. How many of you remember Pogo? Well, there's three or four of us that are ancient and old. Pogo once said, I have seen the enemy, and it is me. Now, if we take what James just said, and we, and we, we take what Pogo said. In other words, the, our greatest enemy is our own mouth. It's what we say. If we're all real honest this morning. We struggle at times with our mouth. Amen? Let's just, be, I mean, let's just come clean. We all struggle with what we say. You know what, y'all are not going to believe this, but I have to choke down words every once in a while that I really, really, really want to say. I really do. I have to choke them. I mean, I have to swallow them. And, 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 and those usually happen when somebody ambushes me or, or brushes me off or ignores me or I don't, I don't feel like I'm being appreciated or on and on and on. And you know what, they just come and, and my, my brain and yours does too, has a governor between your voice and your brain. It's called your lips, and if you press them together really tight and bite your tongue, you won't say those things. I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but there are times when I, you know what, I want to let something rip like a guided missile because I want to see the destruction. Now, I know y'all can't believe that, but I'm just like you. I, I don't like to be made fun of. 
I don't like to be ignored. I don't like to be underappreciated. All those things. I, I think you know what I mean. And listen, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm looking around, and, and, and the person that would probably offend most is not in here, so I, I'm going to say this. Diarrhea of the mouth is no excuse, okay? You, you can't just let your mouth run. You can't. It doesn't matter whether you're a type A person or a person that's laid back. Managing our mouth is a full-time job that requires constant overtime. It's a constant job. Most of us like to talk. Amen? I mean, if, 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 if we realize we like to talk, and you know what we like to talk about most? Ourselves. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's interesting. Proverbs 10.19 says, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Jesus put it this way. He kind of simplified it. And he was talking about vows and promises. But, but I think the same, we could, we could uh, take the principle that he's making here. In, in Matthew chapter 5.37, he says, Just a simple yes I will or no I won't is enough. I heard another limerick, another little saying. I really like it. Wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we be like that wise old bird? My father used to say, Son, you have two ears, one mouth. Shut your mouth and listen. I didn't like that. I'll just straight up tell you I didn't like that. I never liked it once when I heard it. But as I've gotten older, I know what he was talking about. I need to listen twice as much as I speak. Yet we struggle with that. We all like to talk. We all like to hear ourselves talk. I read a quote this week from a man named Will Durant. He said, Talk is cheap because the supply always exceeds the demand. Let that one sink just a minute. There's plenty of talk. We just don't need as much of it. I learned several years ago when I was counseling a lot that most people can be quiet and listen for about 15 seconds before they have to say something. Now, if that's true, and and it's not much more, it may be less, then about seven and a half seconds of that is spent formulating what I want to say in reply to what you said. So really, most people can only listen for about seven and a half seconds. That's not very long. We use enough words in a single day to fill a 50 pages of a book. In the span of a year, every one of us could speak enough words to fill up 132 books that have 200 pages each. That's a lot of words. Amen? So we need to pay attention to what we say. I mentioned a place in the very beginning that we stopped at in Israel called Elah. And the Lord used that place this week to kind of teach me some principles on managing my mouth. And I hope you learn some too. And I want to use it I want to use it as a picture to describe what I'm talking about, but also I want to share some principles from it. If you turn to uh, 1 Samuel 17. It's one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. It's, it's, it's a story that we all know. It's the story of, of David and Goliath. It's, it's an epic story. It, it's a story that we know by heart. It's a story that we've probably acted out, that we've played with our children and acted out. The story of David and Goliath is synonymous, even in, our, even in non-Christian parts of our culture, as the underdog defeating uh, the one who's got all the powers. It's the picture of the underdog. And so the story of David and Goliath is, is very familiar. And there are a lot of lessons that we could learn from this story, but today I just, want, I just want to show you one. And it has to do with how David responds to the words and to the taunts and to the curses that the giant Goliath throws out. And there's some principles we want to take from that that will help us manage our mouths. Every day, if you know the story, every day Goliath would would walk forward. 
The two armies were, one was lying on one side, the other army on the other, and every day Goliath would walk out. Now, he's their champion, and he's hard to miss. He's over nine feet tall. He probably weighs 350, 400 pounds. He's got, I mean, he looks like an M1 tank. And he's got the brass, I mean, the bronze helmet, the bronze armor, the bronze shield, the, the, the spear that's humongous. I mean, he is, he's just, he's a monster. And every day he walks out and he issues a challenge. It's, it's, it's one of those things, winner take all. In other words, what the, the Philistines wanted to do is they wanted their champion to fight the champion of Israel. And so there'd only be one death and whoever lost would serve the other. Well, every day Goliath goes out and every day he issues his, his challenge and every day all you can hear are crickets chirping. It's quiet. Nobody even breathes. Nobody responds. No words. No replies. So he'd stand there a little little bit, and then he'd rear back, and he would curse the soldiers of Israel. He'd call them names. He'd talk about their mamas. He'd insult their sisters. That didn't do any good. Then he'd he'd start on their God. I mean, he'd just basically dog-cussed them. And he went on and on and on. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to make somebody mad enough to fight him. But nothing. Instead of those words creating an anger, and a righteous anger that they should have created, they created fear. And that fear turned into shame. And that shame turned into insecurity. And the more he screamed and cursed, the more afraid they became. In fact, the more he cursed and screamed, the bigger he got. I mean, he's nine feet tall, okay? He's a pretty big character. But every day when he finished his, his, his rage and his harangue on those soldiers, he was taller and taller until he reached that point where he was undefeatable. He couldn't be beaten. And they would just cower and they would shake. They'd cover their faces because they were were too afraid, too ashamed, destroyed. Folks, he never drew his sword. He never threw his spear. He just used words. And what happened is this, this army melted into a bunch of cowering, fearful, hiding men. The name Goliath means exile. And it's interesting that, that, that he lived up to his name. He, he sent these warriors into exile. It was an exile, though, of, of fear and self-loathing. They hated themselves because they knew what they should do, but they were all too paralyzed to do it. And so every day in the Valley of Elah, and I'm, I'm going to get Connie to bring those, those pictures up. The word Elah means the valley of curse or imprecation. In other words, they were in a valley where you were supposed to... I don't know if, if, if this is where they went and cursed each other. I, I don't know. But anyway, this is the valley of Elah. And, and as you notice these pictures, you're going to notice something that, that's very plentiful. And it's stones. They just kind of shine in the, in the dirt out there. Uh, hopefully you can see them. But every day, Goliath would, would symbolically in a sense, metaphorically speaking, he'd gather up a bunch of rocks and he'd just chunk them at the Israelites. They were his words. See, I, I think if he'd have chunked some real rocks, somebody would have chunked one back at him. But that's not what he did. He, he used his words like stones and, and, and they rained on them. And those words were literally sucking the lifeblood out of this army. And you know the story. David is a shepherd boy, and he's, he's going back and forth between Saul's camp where he plays the harp back to the shepherd uh, to take care of the sheep. He's a shepherd for his father. And one day his father calls him and sends him uh, to check on his brothers and sends him with a, with a gift basket. And he gets there just about the time Goliath is slinging words with both hands. And he's amazed. 
He's amazed, number one, that nobody has reacted. Nobody's responded. Nobody's done anything. I mean, he, he's probably 16, 15, 16 years old. Little skinny, red-haired boy. You know, he, he's got his little cloak on. He's got his shepherd's stick, his little sack. I mean, he, 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 and he's amazed. Nobody will respond. He hears the cursing of the giant, and he, he's dumbfounded. Now, if you look at the, at, the, at the passage, David begins to be attacked with words everywhere he turns. He starts to ask some questions, and all, the, all that he gets back are fear-filled words from the soldiers. He continues to ask his questions, and, and he gets a condemning word from his brother. Look, all you've come down here for us to watch the battle and watch people get killed. Then he, then he gets a dismissal. He gets brushed off by the king. The king says, hey, you're just a boy. He, he's been a warrior since his childhood. You're just a boy. So if David had listened to the words that were being spoken to him, he would have joined the crowd and done nothing. But David doesn't listen to those words. David ultimately ends up down front and center. He's ready to confront the giant. And so as he walks out to battle, as he, he gets ready to move across that field, he stops at a, at a brook, and he picks up five smooth stones. Now, he could, have, he could have filled a tractor trailer with rocks, okay? There's no shortage of rocks. I don't even see how they plow that field. But there's rocks everywhere. But he picks out five. And he heads out to meet the giant. He confronts him. And I want you to listen to the conversation, okay? I want you to listen to the exchange of words between Goliath and between David. Goliath is so... I mean, he goes into a rage. He cannot believe they've sent a boy out to face him. They sent a child out to face him. They've sent, they've sent uh, uh, an untrained, unarmed boy out to do what a man should be, another soldier, a warrior should do. So he, he's incensed. He, he, he is, he, 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 I mean, I, I guess if you could have taken his hat off, steam would have been coming out of his ears. He'd been blood red. And, and so he, he just ridicules David with everything that he's got. I want you to listen to what he says in, in 1 Samuel 17. Verse 43 through 45. Am I a dog? Goliath roared at David. That you come to me with a stick. Now, you got to picture big old Goliath. It says he wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg, bronze leg armors. And carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And t- the shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. He had an armor bearer. He had somebody who carried his shield for him out in front of him. And all of a sudden, here is a little boy with a stick. Well, that's all he can see. And, and he goes nuts. And so he, he, he says, and he cursed David by all the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll feed your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. In other words, and if I can just put this in plain terms, Goliath just dog-cussed David for all he was worth. How many of you have ever been cussed out? Now, don't lift your hands. You ever been cursed? I mean, not cursed, cussed out. I have. I was on staff at another church, and uh, a lady called. And she wanted to speak to somebody. I wasn't who she wanted to speak to. And so I answered the phone, and she began a tirade that lasted on and on and on and on. I couldn't even get a breath, much less get a word in, okay? She used words. Now, listen, I worked in the construction field, in the plumbing field, okay? I know what 
curse words are, cuss words are. I've heard most all of them. She strung them together in ways like I've never heard them strung together. Doubled them, went over them again. Exclamation point, on and on and on and on and on, until I guess she ran out of breath. But when she did, I said, well, ma'am, who are you trying, who are you trying to reach? Well, I'm trying to get hold of that, 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 that so-and-so church. I said, well, where's that church located? And she goes, in, someplace in Texas. I said, well, ma'am, this particular church by the same name is not located in Texas. They're located in Alabama. Click. <laughs> so I can imagine... I won't tell you what went through my head. There were a few times when I would take up some and sling them back at her, okay? But this giant cursed him for all he was worth. And it says that, that he cursed David by the names of all his gods. Now, the Philistines worshipped a ton, a lot of gods and goddesses. So, I mean, David's getting it. I mean, it's just continual. It's, it's like a dragon breathing fire out there. It's probably the worst profanity that he'd ever heard. Now, Goliath was doing more than just cursing David. He was trash-talking. He was trying to get inside David's head. Because if David will do something stupid, Goliath will kill him. He doesn't even have to get his nice bronze armor dusty. Doesn't even have to get dirty. Doesn't have to break a sweat. So he's, he's playing with David's head. You, you see the picture there? You ever been in that situation when the devil was playing with your head through somebody else? Through the words of somebody else? He's trying to crawl in here. You, you, you've got to realize this is the battlefield, folks. This is where the battle is won or lost right here. And so... Goliath, he's just hammering David. And finally, David speaks. I want you to listen to what he says in, in verse 45 through 47. He says, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Literally, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, remember, Goliath said, you know what, come here and I'll feed you to the birds and I'll feed you to the animals. Listen to what David says. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. I'll cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies, not just you, but your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. Goliath was, was slinging verbal stones by the handfuls, but David's reply was like a single shot. Just like that little stone that he slung and hit him between the eyes. And we can learn a lot by just looking really briefly. This won't take just a few minutes. At five principles that, that David exemplifies in this passage. Principle number one. You may want to write these down. These are worth keeping. By the way, God gave them to me. I didn't come up with them. It's better to say nothing than it is to say something stupid. Amen. Let me say that again. It's better to say nothing than to say something stupid. David did not get into a war of words with Goliath. My mother used to say this all the time. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing. Folks, how many of you realize that, that if it ever escapes here, someone else hears it? But all it does is rumble around. No one else hears it. i got another principle for that, but... You don't have to say. It's better not to be stupid. And what happens when we get angry and when we get frustrated is we say stupid things, especially men. Okay, I am a man, so I realize this. This is a man-woman thing here. But ladies, if you just imagine an anger scale, 
like the, the deal at the fair that you hit with a sledgehammer and it rings the bell. This is one. The bell is ten. Ladies can go up and down on the anger scale with eyes bulged out and a baby under their arm and never squeeze that baby at all. Okay? They can go up and down that scale and talk fairly coherent. Men, we can't. We hit a certain point and the rocket launches. And then we start to say insane things that make no sense. Or we stick our fist through the, the sheetrock. Or we jump in the truck and, and spend 25 or 30, well, maybe more. It's more than that now, 40 or $50 worth of, 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 of rubber off on the road. We're, we're different. And so, ladies, you need to watch when, when your spouse gets to that point. You know where it's at. You know where the button is that launches that rocket. You just need to pay attention. And men, you need to learn where that's at and not go there because there's nothing good ever happens once it goes to that next level. It's better to say nothing than it is to say something stupid. Amen? Y'all don't believe me. (laughs) I've got scars to show it. And you do too. Principle number two. You don't have to speak with your mouth everything that flutters through your mind. Let me say that again. You don't have to speak with your mouth everything that flutters through your mind. I'll guarantee you, as that, as that giant was cursing David, there were all kind of responses David thought about making. I mean, we forget that David is a guy. I can't tell you how angry it makes me when someone curses me. And I'll just be straight up with you. There's two or three things that I just can't handle, and that's one of them. Uh, it just gets beside me. Uh, it, it, it has to do with pride and all that other stuff. Uh, it, it just, I mean, I can't imagine how David stood his ground and didn't say anything. But he didn't. Guys don't do well under those kind of conditions. But listen to me, just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. Well, it's true. Well, just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it. I mentioned this a while ago. God's given every one of us a delay switch. It's your upper lip and your bottom lip. And if you press them together really hard and bite your tongue, there will be no coherent sound that comes out. And if it doesn't get out, you don't have to deal with it except between you and God. Just because you think it is not necessarily a sin either. There are things that, that, have, that pop into our minds that you realize, you know what, I, I can't say that, I can't do that, I can't act like that. That's not necessarily a sin. And so, you don't have to speak with your mouth everything that flutters through your mind. Principle number three. Never, never, never react. Always respond. Never react. Always respond. David, in this situation, I mean, he could have... You know, his eyes could have glazed over. I don't know, you know, whatever it does. But he didn't get caught up in this war of words because that war of words was designed to destroy him. And though those words may come out of someone you love, the devil has designed them to destroy you. Remember, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. It's against the prince of darkness. It's against the one who, who wants to destroy us. And so guess what? He'll use anybody to destroy another human being. You know what? Here's here's what I've learned, that talking trash means little if you don't have enough checkbook to back it up. I, I played sports, football, basketball. There was always guys that, and most of the time, Two or three minutes later, they were laying over there in a pile with their eyes going around and around. The same is true in life. There are times when you you just you don't react 
that react is you punch me, I punch you back. You punch me harder, I punch you. You kick me, I kick you. And before long, we've jumped on each other and, and we're wearing each other out. That, that's reaction. Folks, reactions are spur of the moment. A response is a well-seasoned reply that takes into account the facts. I'm going to read to you a response. This is not a reaction. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword, not with spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give it to us. That's a reasoned response. Everything that David said in that sentence came true. Right? Everything. David killed... David... I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a Volkswagen lined up against a, an M1 tank. And the, and the Volkswagen rams the tank and the tank is destroyed. That's the picture here. David is a boy. He's a shepherd. He's got a slingshot. He lets go a stone. He hits him in the, the giant in the center of the forehead. Now, he's wearing a helmet. So where's his helmet at? God fought the battle. God directed the stone. It was a reasoned response. David didn't react. He responded with a word from God. God gave him a word and he spoke. That brings me to principle number four. Always deal with the issues at hand and keep your emotions in check. Always deal with the issues at hand and keep your emotions in check. I imagine, uh, just mentioned it, I imagine that, that David had to fight his emotions. I mean, he's a guy. I mean, I, I would imagine he had to push some stuff down. Because I'll guarantee you, the giant's not just talking about David. He's talking about his family. He's talking about his father, his mother, his sisters, if he had any, his aunts and uncles, his grandparents. I mean, he's talking about anything and everything that will get his attention. You ever seen somebody that, that became enraged and their eyes glaze over and they just start windmilling? When I was a kid, a little kid, there was always you know, this kid that everybody picked on. And then one day, his eyes glazed over, and he started windmilling before it was over. All the bullies were gone. Now, you know, I'm not sure that's the way to deal with it, but that's how my daddy taught me to do it. Uh, he said, don't let anybody pick on you. Don't let anybody bully you. And so, but David, he, he keeps those emotions in check. He, he didn't let his anger get away from him. He, he doesn't let what he'd like to do. You know, why? Because out-of-control emotions with caustic words always create conditions none of us are prepared to deal with. He could have let that mouth run, and he'd lost focus. And he wouldn't have done what he was supposed to do. There are moments when no reply is the best reply. How many of you have been in situations where you just turned and walked away? There are moments in life where it doesn't mean you're a coward. It just means, you know what? There's no win situation here. Keep your emotions in check. And the last one, principle number five. Ask God what He would say, what He would have you say. Well, God, this guy's cursing me out. Which words would you choose for me to reply to him with. God, what are you going to let me say? If you don't hear anything, don't say anything. All you hear is crickets chirping. God wants you to be quiet. There are all kinds of ways David could have responded that day, but he didn't. God gave him something to say and he said it. And I, though the, the, the passage does not necessarily say this, I believe this took place. Uh, the next verse says, after David spoke those words, that Goliath kept moving. 
but it says that David ran to meet him. I think it stunned Goliath a little bit. I think it got really quiet on that battlefield. I think everybody, the hundreds of soldiers were all focused in. And all of a sudden, this little boy is doing this like that. And the next thing you see is... I think it stunned everybody. And the next thing you see is this little boy climbs up on his back, pulls out Goliath's own sword, cuts his head off, holds it up. Now, that may be a little too graphic for most of y'all, but holds it up and the route is on. Why? Because he asked God what to say, and God told him exactly what to say, and he said it. When you're in a situation like that, it might be an argument with your spouse. It may be a tense situation with a child. Ask God what to say. Folks, I have learned that when I speak what God tells me to speak, God changes the situation immediately. When I say what I want to speak and ignore what God wants me to say, it just pours gasoline on the situation. Folks, I'm convinced And we have to learn to manage our mouths. And if we can learn to do that, we can create a different kind of culture in this church. And if we create a different kind of culture, a culture of honor in this church, we won't be able to find enough chairs. Because there are people out there that are bruised and they're hurt by the words they've heard. They've been condemned. They've been shamed. They're guilt-ridden because of words that have been spoken over them. If they find a place where they are honored for who they are, God will set them free. Folks, we have to learn to manage our mouths. I want to close with this verse again. It's in Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want to ask you a question. Who's in control of your tongue? That little organ has that much power. Who controls it? If you're born again, Jesus is supposed to control it. Father, this morning, we just all stand before you, Lord, in the same boat. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.